Sister Grant and I did not go to the marriage retreat, and we had planned on going, had reservations, and uh, we just didn't go. We uh, <clears throat> have not had any major fights lately. Uh, Brother Seidel uh, said, and all the newly wed people said amen. And I almost said amen, and I got to thinking about it. I've been married 33 years, and I don't think that qualifies in spirit, he said. All right. Can you believe Sister Grant and I have been married 33 years? We don't even look that old, do we? <clears throat> Who said that? <laughs> Brother Jeff. <clears throat> Praise God. I knew who said it. And the reason why I knew, because when I looked out, I saw his face was just real red. <clears throat> Praise God. Well, this has been a great day. had a great service this morning. We baptized a young man by, by the name of Pete Zenz, Z-E-N-Z. Baptized him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Last weekend we baptized three people. Tonight several people will be baptized from the Dells. I'm not for sure just how many. Two, Brother Hildebrand. Praise God. Oh, isn't God good? We just had a terrific service this morning. And uh, I took my wife over to Pedro's for Mexican food. And we had uh, Mexican food. And then I took my siesta this afternoon. <clears throat> Well, I tell you, that's. <clears throat> and now we're back here to the house of the Lord. Praise God. Two big meals on Sunday here in the house of the Lord. Now, this message tonight uh, is strictly a pastoral type message. I uh, would have uh, desired something a little more evangelistic, uh, preferably. Uh, that way because of the people from the Dale. So if I happen to say something tonight, Brother Hildebrand, that you disagree with, you, you, you feel free when you get back home to stand up and say, now, Brother Grant said this, but I feel, <clears throat> because there are a couple of little things in here that I'm going to uh, make reference to that I know that pastors believe, uh, you know, a little different. And, and everybody has their prerogative to be wrong. If they, if they want to be. <clears throat> Leviticus 26.8 and Deuteronomy 32.30. Oh, hallelujah. Leviticus 26, 7 and 8. I'm going to preach on the subject, cooperate witnessing now that sounds like a fancy title uh, it means to work or act together in some united effort to produce a particular cause or effect basically it means working together that's what it means <laughs> cooperate witnessing this is something that you find throughout the bible now the scripture that we're reading has to do with battle conditions or principles, maybe I should say, not conditions. 
So Leviticus 26, 7, And ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase an hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. And then Deuteronomy 32, 30, and this is one that, that you have heard quoted several times. This is dealing with, your enemies that come upon you as a result of your failure to adhere to the Lord, how should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight except their rock had sold them and the Lord had shut them up? And, of course, this can go one way or the other. That can be dealing with you fighting your enemies are your enemies fighting you? Basically, uh, this business of corporate witnessing is something that you find throughout the Bible or corporate uh, working work, people working together. The principle is, is always the same. Gideon took 300 people and utterly destroyed uh, the Midianites. It's uh, it's something that's very, very powerfully taught in the Scripture. You may be seated. Before we go any further, I'd like to say that what we're going to do in the very near future, Brother Hildebrand, you come up here so much, and we have not had you to preach, and I, I, I have made reference to this. We're going to have to get Brother Hildebrand to come and preach for us. And uh, you want to do that? Yeah, I want to. Yes. I appreciate what he's doing in the Dells and to you fine people who have been through so very, very much and you know what I'm making reference to appreciate you standing behind your pastor and his leadership this is something that is extremely important extremely important praise God it seems like that what I have read to you is something that is uh, so difficult to understand until you begin to see the extreme uh, importance of just sticking together, staying together. The family unit is under attack, and I will assure you that this business concerning education and choosing a state superintendent of education or schools is no small matter. And the reason why is because the New Age movement, which uh, many of these people are ingrained in, uh, is certainly trying to destroy the family. Uh, it, it is amazing. It is amazing how much they want to destroy the family. And one of the greatest things that America has going for itself is a revival among our society to restore the family. It's being preached and taught in our churches for a long period of time. We just sat idly by the side and did nothing while educators, political figures were destroying our families. But thank the Lord that emphasis has been put on this. A young child in a home with a good, strong father and a loving mother uh, 
feel such great security. When individuals are left alone, and there are times in which you will fight your battle alone, uh, and, and you don't have any choice in it, God certainly will hear your prayers, but you should never intentionally try to fight the battle alone when you have someone by your side to help you because the corporate effort uh, is so much more effective. We have corporate prayer. We have a group of people that, that come at 4 o'clock. Brother Rich Thomas called me shortly after 4. Of course, I was in prayer on Sunday night. Before I deliver a message, I like to get alone with the Lord. I hope that you understand why I feel that it's important to get alone with God. But still, I have the comfort of the corporate effort of brothers and sisters of this assembly who get together and pray for our service, and more specifically pray for me, or whoever is speaking. In our monthly prayer meetings, we have a two-hour prayer meeting once a month in which we designate one hour of this. And we go to the Lord in prayer. This is where we kind of divide up. I say divide up. We're just left, left at liberty to pray wherever we want to about whatever we want to pray about, any place of the building. But then we get together and we pray and we bring the requests before the congregation and together we bind ourselves to come hard against the forces of evil. Both are necessary. Both are necessary. Uh, you should never, never feel that you can make it without your brothers and sisters. That is, if they are available. There are situations in which, uh, you know, you are required to stand alone, fight your own battles, start your own fires. Stand alone like the Apostle Paul who was bound going to Rome shipwreck to our knowledge no other christian was on board the ship well this is a unique situation but every now and then a brother or sister will grow independent and when they grow independent the first thing that happens they begin to feel that nobody loves them then they begin to get a little critical of everybody and their independent spirit will destroy them You'll find some churches uh, that do this. I have personally told many pastors, you're making a mistake when you do not openly promote uh, your people to fellowship with people of like precious faith in other assemblies. You need to go to camp. You need to go to fellowship meetings. You need to go to special meetings. The ladies should go to the ladies' meetings. The men, the men's retreat. The couples to the married couples retreat. I mean, this; these things are also very important. It's the, the binding together, the lifting up, the united effort that, that keeps us balanced, keeps us uh, on the path that God would, would have us to, to go on. Now, if you look at the mathematical ratio in which... Uh, is found in the scripture in Leviticus 5, we'll put 100, that's one person 
For every 20, then 100 should put 10,000. That's one person for every uh, 100 people. And of course, a thousand should put one should put a thousand to flight. That's one for a thousand to ten thousand. And so that is five thousand per person. Uh, I don't think that the mathematical figure is that important. What is important is it's showing us that that the cooperate effort is is so very valuable that uh, you just cannot escape from that. Now, what I'd like to do, I'd like to read some scriptures that Brother Manley read, which is very, very important to lay a foundation for this message from Matthew 16. We find that uh, uh, Jesus begins to talk to his disciples about their knowledge of his deity. Uh, In verse 13 of Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremus, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, this is Peter who made this statement. Then Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, verse 19 is a verse that I'd like for you to look at, and I will give unto to thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, if you recall in the book of Acts, the Bible makes it very plain that when Peter preached this message, the Bible says, and Peter standing up with the eleven. In other words, he stood up. They were all in agreement that this is the way that it ought to be done. The power of cooperate ministry, the power of cooperate witnessing. Jesus said, Ye shall be witnesses unto me first in Jerusalem. And even though we would not normally associate his preaching with witnessing, that's exactly what he was doing. He was witnessing the the, the validity of the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when these 11 people stood up, it had a powerful effect on the hearers. Now, in Matthew 18, we also find a passage of Scripture in which Jesus used the same thing. This is dealing with the future discipline or discipline in the future church. Maybe I should put it that way. Matthew eighteen fifteen. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. 
Now, this is, this, this is just extremely, extremely important. Now, we want to just break in here by giving you a little history behind what is taking place. In the Old Testament, before anyone could be convicted of any particular crime, it was necessary to have at least two witnesses, two people who saw the same thing at the same time. This is found in Numbers 35:30, Deuteronomy 17:6, Deuteronomy 19 and 5. Now, basically, what is happening here is that uh, the Lord is, is saying that nobody, nobody should be disciplined as a result of maybe just hearsay or gossip or or something of this nature. And if you're ever involved in something like this, and it is necessary for you to be in the presence of a couple of people who bring accusation against you, you should take this very, very seriously. And you may say, well, Brother Grant, two or three can be just as wrong as one. Well, that is true, but, but the chances are not quite as great. And you, you follow what I'm saying. This, this is something that, that is so, so important. Paul tells Timothy that against an elder receive not an accusation except by two or three witnesses. Uh, oh, how important this is. If you're ever involved uh, in anything of this nature, you, you just need to be extremely careful. You need to walk very, very carefully. Very soft in the presence of God. Of course, when it comes to the elders of the church, uh, uh, Paul, when he wrote this, was writing to a young man. He was not... The, the first and Second Timothy was written to a minister. It was not written... They're not general epistles to the church. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so what he is saying is that that when one minister is dealing with another minister, uh, he's got to be very careful. Uh, I know uh, as a member of the district board, you know, we just I get a whole lot of letters, a lot of anonymous letters. People writing, they don't have the backbone, uh, fortitude, or guts to say who they are. I just toss it in the trash. I just toss it in the trash. And... Uh, I, I just don't hold any stock in someone who wants to complain, and yet they don't, you know, I'm going to tell you this, but please don't do anything about it. Well, then why tell me? Why, why would you want me to be biased? Why would you want me to be prejudiced against an individual? Why would you want to sway my thinking if you're closing the door in which I can help the individual. Why would you want to do that? Well, sometimes our motives are not quite as pure as what we think they are. And I know as, as superintendent I have to deal with some problems, and our district board does, but we're very, very careful. Why? Because we're dealing with a man's ministry. This is something that's very important. Now, the reason why that this is important is because the Bible says, and if he neglect to hear them, verse 17, that is the two or three witnesses that go with the individual, tell it to the church. 
But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Do you understand what the scriptures say? Verily I say unto you that whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now Jesus makes that same statement in verse 18 back over in Matthew 16 when he when the church is first mentioned. Now, if I'm understanding the Scripture correctly, this is what the Scripture is saying. That the church has the power because the church preaches the message. And you cannot, even though the word church became a dirty word back in the early 70s among Christian people. They want to talk about the body and, and uh, body ministry. And sometimes churches can get caught up or religious movements can get caught up in and little uh, ideas and phrases and such, and and they can be uh, somewhat fickle in 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 their language uh, and not altogether scriptural. Uh, you know, church became kind of became a dirty word because people were against organized efforts; they were against the establishment. But Jesus established a church upon the foundation. Of the apostles and prophets, he himself being the chief cornerstone. And it was founded upon the revelation of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells me in Acts 20, 28, that it was with his blood that he purchased the church of the living God. Now, church is not a dirty word. The word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which means called out one. This was God's idea. It was not man's idea. Now man can come along and change it because of just a little, little or just because of religious fads. And they do sweep across uh, the Christian movement. But if the Bible says it, then it's okay. It's the way it is. But you notice that, that in order for a man to get into the church, he must be born into the church by repentance, baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now that simply means there's one act for me, and that is I repent. There's one act for the church, that is they baptize me. And then there's one act for God, and that is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now there is no better method than Christ's method. No better method. I, I talk to people about spiritual authority. A lot because uh, you know I just I just have to do that uh, by nature of of the 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 work that I'm involved in. But it is amazing to me how many people, how many young people feel that they're victimized because of the spiritual authority that's over them. How many wives feel that they're victimized because of the authority that's over them? I hear this all the time. They say, "Well, the thing about it is, you know." Uh, uh, my husband is not fair, and so forth and so on. And, and then saints say, well, my preacher is not fair, and so forth and so on. And We're involved in that. There is a erosion of trust uh, in authority today because this is the devil's method to destroy fam the family unit and to destroy the church. Let me tell you young people something. Trust in your dad and mom. You see, your dad's not always right, but he's going to always be your dad. 
And uh, submission to authority is never predicated upon who's right or who's wrong. Submission to authority is an attitude that you have. And so you submit to that. Now, I trust that I can go someplace with this tonight in a positive sense. I'm hung up a little bit on the negative vein of it, but it's necessary to do this. So, in order to be placed into the body of Christ, you have to be born not only of the Holy Ghost, but you have to go through the church to be born of God. I didn't hear but one amen on that. But we don't have any record of anybody baptizing themselves. Nobody baptized themselves in the Bible that, that we have record of. And so what he's saying is this, that, that you're involved in this, and whenever you take and you baptize someone, not only does the body of Christ recognize it, but he said, heaven also recognizes that act. Now that sounds great when we're talking about someone going into the body of Christ. And tonight, two of you, at least two of you, because you've come prepared, will go down in the water in the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a great comfort that you have is knowing that the body of Christ recognizes this. And as a result, God Himself recognizes this. That's important for you to understand. But... On the other hand, the Bible says that if a brother or a sister will not take discipline, then you bring it before the church, and if they will not hear, let him be as a heathen or a publican, as a sinner. Wow. Well, now that's strong language. <laughs> not only does the church has the power, have the power to bind things on earth, and that it be bound in heaven when it relates to the saving of the soul, it also has the same power when it relates to the releasing of an individual from the body of Christ. And you may say, does that mean, Brother Grant, that if church discipline is enacted against me, that, that my name will be taken off the Lamb's book of life? Now, I'm not going to go so far as even answer that, because I am not the judge. But I do know it can certainly be taken out of the fellowship with the body of Christ. And I don't know how in the world a person can make it without fellowship with the body of Christ. I just don't know. And the whole purpose of this is to, to get one to understand the power of cooperate work. This is, this is so very important. And then, of course, verse 19, again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, we use this quite often when it, when it deals with prayer. It's the simplest form of church government, and it appears that what the Lord is saying. Now, in order to have a body, all you have to have is two or three. If two or three people will, will agree. The positive side of this is that, that not only would two or three have the ability, that's talk, if, they, if that's all there are in the church, uh, to dismiss someone from fellowship with uh, them, but they also have the ability to bind together at, at an altar, uh, hold hands or whatever, and pray and, and touch heaven 
and see heaven open up and great, wonderful miracles uh, come to pass. Now, isn't it true that when Jesus Christ sent out the 70 in Luke 10, and then, of course, He sent out the, the, the 12 in Matthew 10, in Mark 6 and Luke 9, that's when He called His disciples. First, let's deal with the 12 when He sent them out. He called them and then sent them out. He gave them power over uh, all evil spirits. He gave them power. But when He sent them out, now Matthew doesn't say this and Luke doesn't say it, but Mark says when He sent them out, He sent them out in twos. We want two of you to go. Uh, Don't go alone. Two of you go. And then in Luke 10, when the 70 were sent out, the Bible says He sent them out two by two. So they were... There were 35 couples that went out. 35 couples that went out. Now, I've thought so much about this. You know, I think it would be so great if we had the money that when we send out missionaries, especially when they are going out to a foreign country where we do not have a resident missionary, if, if we could get the money together, not just send one couple, but send two couples. Now, you may say, well, that's four people. Husband and wife going would be sufficient. I understand that, but so often the wife is involved in the family affairs and taking care of a lot of this, and the man has to go out on the streets alone, witnessing and testifying. Would it be great if somehow we could get more people there? More people there. The Mormons have no doubt searched out the validity of this in their uh, evangelistic efforts. Uh, They send young men, mostly in groups, and then they divide off in twos, and they go forth. Uh, I've talked with Mormons before. I've talked with some uh, younger ones that ah, they weren't so stable, you know. And uh, they uh, they begin to listen to me, and then all of a sudden you could you can tell who the elder is. He steps in and he begins to talk. He let me do the talking for a while. He doesn't say that, but you can you can see that. And then when they leave. He's already instructing his buddy. Now, this is what you should have done, and this is what you, you know, and, and they work together. I mean, they really do work together. <laughs> you can say whatever you want to say about them, but, but uh, uh, this particular idea, which is scriptural, works for them, even though they are not involved in truth. And I think uh, what I am talking about would be so wonderful if, if every person going out and teaching searched for truth, if he had just a, a good... Uh, brother or sister in the work of the Lord that, that could, could accompany him and go with him. Uh, you single men, you need to, uh, someone to go with you, a single man, that is, and uh, sit down and, and teach Bible studies. And then, of course, uh, you single ladies, you need uh, some lady to go with you and, and sit down and teach. Why? Because, you see, there is power... In the dual witnessing, the cooperate witnessing. There's power in the cooperate effort. It's there. Uh, we see the negative side of this, but, but uh, nevertheless, it still works. You remember when Jesus Christ was taken uh, before Pontius Pilate for trial? The Bible says that uh, His disciples went, but they, they stayed off out on the periphery. They wouldn't come... In. They didn't want to be associated with Jesus because they knew that, that that trial that was taking place 
denoted death. Uh, crosses had already been made, and and they they knew that 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 this was a serious situation. Now, no doubt this would have been altered somewhat if uh, if these men would have witnessed for the Lord, but they they didn't. They just they they just simply didn't didn't witness for Him. Now. Those people who wanted to put him to death, they went out and hired two witnesses. They hired two witnesses, liars, known liars, people who'd take a bribe. They'd come in and, and, and tell that, that they knew Jesus Christ was guilty of blasphemy. They knew that. And did they witness? And Oh, yeah, they witnessed. Sure they did. And the Bible tells us in... In Isaiah 53, that he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And the Bible tells us that when it came time for his witnesses to appear, he looked out and he sees a distant fire and he sees the man with the revelation, see, over there warming his hands. And the damsel, knowing that it was time for him to come and witness, I'm putting it in my own vernacular. She no doubt looked at Peter and said, Look, this man's in need of your testimony. Don't you know him? He said, I don't know who in the world this man is. I have no idea. And he wouldn't go. He simply wouldn't go. And because Jesus Christ had no one to stand with him, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And because... Of this system, we have the crucifixion. But please keep in mind that right always overcomes might. And if you ever have to suffer wrongfully, you see, you'll always lose when you fight your own battle by yourself. If somebody doesn't come to your side and fight for you, you, you will lose. Most likely you'll lose. But because Jesus Christ was right, then we have the resurrection and thank the Lord for the resurrection if we did not have the resurrection according 1 Corinthians 15 we wouldn't be here today but thank the Lord for the resurrection in Luke 10 when Jesus sent out the 70 there is a there is a scripture I want to call your attention to so if you'll turn to Luke 10 the Bible says after these things the Lord appeared Appointed, rather, other seventy also, and sent them out two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Isn't this something? You see, we have this on our board over here, to my right, and push to your left. Therefore the, the Lord of the harvest send forth laborers. This is what he says. That we should do, we should pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Now remember, Jesus Christ went as a lamb before the slaughter. But Jesus said, I want you to go, two of you, not as a lamb. Don't try to stand alone. Go together. And the reason why is because when two of you stand together to testify, 
remember that there is power in cooperate witnessing. There's a lot of power in cooperate witnessing. So I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Now this is the attitude that the, the, the New Testament Christian should have. Now sometimes New Testament Christians think that they are wolves among sheep. And we'll just tear them all up and, you know, just rip them to shreds and such. No, that's not the attitude. The attitude should be that we are lambs among wolves. That Christianity never gives a man license to be nasty and dirty. But you'll probably get torn apart when you stand alone. But take somebody with you. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes and salute no man by the way. Now, this is also found in Matthew 10. When you read it in Matthew 10, it talks about the same thing. We are required then to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That should be the attitude. But you can see what I'm getting at, and that is that together we can stand. Together we can stand. So, you see the, the history behind this. <clears throat> in Revelation 11, this is something that's intriguing to a lot of people. When, when uh, <clears throat> the two witnesses come and they testify in the streets of, of Sodom and Egypt, spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, which also is the city in which our Lord was crucified. This is talking about Jerusalem. The, the Bible tells us that Two witnesses shall come, and they shall testify a thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. Now notice uh, one witness did not come, but two witnesses. Uh, this, this is so important. Forty-two months. Now, I, I don't really understand uh, some things. I, I know that scientists have figured out that our our year consists of 365 and a fourth days. Now, I don't really know how to make up the difference or whatever, but uh, uh, you notice when Noah went into the ark, he was in the ark one full year, and it was 360 days that he was in the ark. And 42 months, uh, 1,360 days is um, three and a half years, uh, but that's considering 360 days in a year. I don't, I don't understand all that, but I, I do know that, uh, you know, we're always talking about uh, winter, and, and I don't know how, the, if adjustment, I, I just don't know. But I do know that the Bible calls a year 360 days in several places. Now, well, it just does. <clears throat> just give you something to think about. And I don't know anybody coming to ask me about that anymore, so, because I'm not going to be able to. The big question is, who are the two witnesses? Well, I don't really know. So don't ask me about that either. I just know what they're going to do. And some people say, well, it had to be Moses and Elijah. And others say Moses and Enoch, if I had to say. 
I would say it would probably be Enoch and Elijah. Now, I could be wrong. The reason why is because it does mention what they, they will do, and that is uh, uh, one that uh, they're, they're going to withhold rain from the heavens for a period of three and a half years. Uh, we know that Elijah did that. Elijah also did not see death. Of course, it talks about that they'll be able to prophesy. And uh, when they prophesy, uh, that water will turn to blood and, and the earth will be smitten with all kinds of plagues. And we know that that's happened in the days of Moses when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Why Enoch and Elijah? Well, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and after death the judgment. Those are the two men in the Scripture that did not die. And it appears that that these men are actually sent back in which they have to suffer this horrible death. Their bodies are hung up in the streets. The Bible says the whole world, probably by television, will witness their bodies, see them. But the, the, the thing about it is that, that after a short period of time, three and a half days in which they are they're hanging there, and all the world sees them, guess what happens? God gives them life again. And they begin to, they begin, the Bible says in verse 11, that uh, God, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood on, on their feet, and great fear fell upon all which saw them. Praise God. Isn't that something? It appears that uh, the whole world can see the two witnesses. Why two witnesses? Why two? Because this happens to be what God has established from the very beginning, the very beginning of time. Now, <clears throat> you will find that uh, one of the things that the apostles did when, when they were here, they talked about, being an eyewitness to the, to the majesty and the greatness of God. The Apostle Paul, when he talks about uh, uh, the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory, what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I deliver unto you first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He arose again the third day according to the Scripture. Now notice this. He was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. And after that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once. Now you will find that when the Apostle Paul witnessed, even though he was witness alone, many times because of the nature of his particular type of ministry, uh, you will find that he constantly referred to the people who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Of course, we also have to keep in mind that the Apostle Paul, in many cases, we think he was alone. He really wasn't. Uh, we, we know that he was with Silas, and then, of course, he was with Barnabas, and, of course, John Mark was with him. He makes reference to other people in some of his epistles that were actually with him. So... He may not have been alone as much as sometimes we think that he was alone. But he constantly makes reference to this. 
And, and of course, after that he was seen um, of James and then of all the apostles. And then uh, last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Now, I'm not really for sure that, that the apostle Paul witnessed the, the Lord Jesus Christ in the flesh or if in some type of heavenly vision he was showed shown all of these things i i, I really don't know but but i am i'm saying all of that to say this that that one of the 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 powerful influences of of their testimony was the fact that they were able to reach back and grab these evidences and refer to those i saw him with my own eyes I know He healed the lepers. I was there when He did it. And I saw it with my own eyes. And they used this powerful, powerful witnessing tool as they uh, got together and, 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 and put their witness in a corporate effort to, to prove that Jesus Christ was alive and that He had res- was resurrected from the dead. Now, you will find in... In Acts 1, and then, of course, going in Acts 2, uh, uh, when the Holy Ghost fell, the, the uh, uh, 12th apostle was chosen again. And the Bible tells us that, that one of the, or the, the qualifications were that, that this man must have been an eyewitness of the work of Jesus Christ from the time that he was baptized of John until he ascended into the heavens. He had to be an eyewitness how important this is. Now, the reason why I'm calling your attention to this because, you know, uh, there, there is nothing in all the world uh, that is as powerful as when you witness to someone that, that you tell them about the things that you have personally experienced. You know, if, if you, can, you can tell somebody about the Scripture and they, oh, here, here, here's what happened. I remember talking to a young man one time and, he said, oh yes, I believe in speaking with other tongues. I said, have you spoken with tongues? No. Have you ever heard anyone speak with tongues? No, I never have. Well, that's not much of a witness, I tell you. I said, well, you are personally looking at someone who has spoken with other tongues many times as the Spirit gives the utterance. And if you stick around Calvary Gospel Church, you will hear people as they begin to communicate, hear that. This intrigued him. He said, you mean, you actually right here? He said, I've heard about this all my life, but I've really never heard about anybody or heard of anyone who spoke with tongues. I said, well, we speak with tongues. Praise God. And if you go and you're teaching home Bible study and you are talking to someone about what God can do, there's nothing in all the world that would destroy your testimony if you have to tell someone, well, I've really never seen devils cast out, ever, ever. I've really never seen anybody healed. I've really never seen anybody receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, that destroys your testimony. But I'll tell you what really, really, really adds to that testimony is when you say, look, all of these things that these apostles did, I have personally seen. I've seen... People who were sick, I've seen them healed. You don't know of the times, you know, that I've told people about Sister Elaine Moe. 
Some of you have not heard this story, but right here in our own church at Calvary Gospel Church, Elaine Moe, a young lady of our congregation, she had a lung disease called sarcoidosis that also deposits callosum in other parts of the body, and uh, it attacks vital organs of the body. And the first place in which these deposits were found outside of her lungs were in the optical nerve and she began to lose her sight. The doctor says there's no hope for her to ever see again. Elaine Moe had worn glasses for years. Uh, after a while, going to the doctor and having her glasses strengthened as much as she possibly could, she, she could not uh, see anymore. Uh, she was the ladies' auxiliary secretary of our church. I remember the last financial report that she gave at the end of the year. Uh, someone had written it out for her, and it was in large letters like this, and she stood up there trying to read this, focusing this. I remember one night we were praying for a lady who was demon-possessed, and we cast the devil out of this lady. Elaine Moe came up to me after that service, or during that service, it was at the end of the service, and she said, Brother Grant, will you pray for me? And so we lay hands upon Sister Elaine, we anointed her with oil. People gathered around her, and we, we began to pray. And Sister Elaine right then says, The Lord told me that God was going to heal me. She went on that night. She was not able to see, but she was very much encouraged in the Lord. She went to sleep that night, and the next day she woke up, and she could see. And she could see so clear, so clear could she see. And she remembered that... Uh, She'd always worn glasses, and she could see without glasses. And so she went and grabbed her Bible and began to read. Then she, she remembered. She said, my Bible was fairly large print, one that I had purchased after this disease had started to, uh, attacking my uh, optical nerve. And she said, I remember even with my glasses on, before the Lord restored my sight, I couldn't read the fine print in the yellow pages. So she went and grabbed the phone book, opened it up, to her amazement, she could read the small print in the yellow pages. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, when we tell stories like that, you need to remember that. I was at the Arizona camp about six years ago. Elaine Moe also suffered from uh, uh, epilepsy. And she had seizures. She had several seizures in the church. She could not drive because of this. When I saw her there in California... Uh, not California, Arizona. Uh, we borrowed her car to go into town one day. Elaine owned her own car. She was driving. She had not had a seizure in years. And she could still see. Wasn't he wearing glasses? Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Now, you see, when, when, you, when you see things like that, and uh, you talk about adding to your testimony. If you're witnessing to someone this week in the whole Bible study and you talk about receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost or you talk about someone being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be able to tell them, I saw for myself just this past weekend. People go down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. The only thing that's more powerful than that is this, if you have someone standing by your side that says, this person's right, I saw it myself. I saw it myself. 
with my own two eyes, with my own two ears. I saw it, and I heard exactly what they're saying. It's right. Praise God. You talk about something that's powerful. Praise God. When we license ministers into the uh, United Pentecostal Church, one thing we ask them, what about your calling? And, of course, they are required to write a little essay, a five-page essay on their calling. And then we ask questions about uh, winning the loss of the Lord, about their own personal ministry. Paul tells Timothy, make full proof of your ministry. You see, the Bible tells us in Mark 16, verse 20, they went everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. It is necessary before a minister stands behind the pulpit to preach things to people that should come to pass that he himself has experienced these things. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I say praise God. You teach soul winning. How many souls have you personally won to God? I'm talking about yourself. And the reason why, because the power of a personal testimony. You can tell people, I have won souls myself. I have done it myself. I've fasted. I've prayed. I've sought God. I've laid hands on people. The only thing more powerful than that is if someone standing by his side saying, yes, that's right. I've done it also. It works. I'm here to tell you it works. That seems to totally disarm people. Now concerning our worship, and this is an area that I, I want to talk to you about because it is so very important. Well, what about spiritual gifts? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 14. This is an area that Brother Hildebrand disagrees with me on this. He he can talk with his people. It won't bother me at all. I just know how this works. And please understand, whenever I said he has a right to be wrong, uh, <clears throat> I just said that in humor. Uh, the reason why I want to say this, because when we were in Oak Creek and uh, we had a couple of people gave, one person gave a message in tongues, somebody else gave a message in tongues, Brother Billy Cole stopped them and said, now look, we only need one message. Well, you actually only need one. Uh, but uh, in order for God to have his perfect way, will, I, I really think that, that two messages are, are needed. I'm, I'm just going to tell you how I personally feel, and I'm going to show you in the Scripture. I'm talking about the power of cooperate ministry, the power of cooperate witnessing. It, it is so very important. So very important. Now, in years past, I know that uh, there's been a lot of uh, controversy about spiritual gifts, uh, and as a result, uh, people became afraid of it. And then uh, because of the ongoing messages in tongues and such, uh, you know, too much witnessing uh, would kill anything. Uh, I remember when, uh, well, one of our ministers, I won't call his name, when he started preaching, he asked me, he said, Brother Grant, uh, how long should I preach? Well, I said, that's pretty difficult for me to say. And the reason, it all depends on the nature of what you're trying to, to accomplish. I said, you're not the pastor. I'd like for you to stick to evangelistic preaching. Um, so I put it this way. It is not necessary for you to give all the evidences of the Scripture in order to prove your point. In other words, you don't have to preach the whole Bible. But you need 
to at least put enough in to prove your point. Now, <clears throat> the order of the ministry in the local assembly, in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 14, If therefore the whole church be come together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned and unbelievers, what will they not, will they not say that you're mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you all of a truth. Now, we're going to get into the beat of this. And before I get go any further, let me just rephrase something that I talked about before. One man alone can witness and win people. He can do that. But it does appear... That, that two together uh, have much greater results. And any time that you can go with someone, pray with someone, when I, when I say pray, now there is a time in which intimacy is required in our relationship with God. And there is a time in which you need to confess your sins to the Lord. There is a time in which you need to empty your heart out and cleanse your heart. You need to be alone with God. But there's also times in which you need to pray with the body. The corporate effort is, is so very, very important. And so I do believe that God will use something less than what I say ideal or perfect. But I think when the Apostle Paul puts the regulations on spiritual gifts, he's talking about that which is ideal. Verse 26, How is it then, brethren, when you come together... Every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Now, verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three. Now, he, de he doesn't say, let one person speak in tongues, and, and then just let another person interpret. He says, let it be by two or at the most by three. In other words, you don't need over two or three witnesses. Now, there's a safeguard in this. Just like there's a safeguard in an individual who uh, perhaps uh, stands before a friend or a brother or sister, and that brother or sister has awe in their heart against the individual, and, and, and they would like for the church to discipline the individual. You must have at least another witness. You cannot... Uh, uh, expect the church to hear it based upon just the one witness. You see, that's the safeguard of it. And so, what we find here is that, that Paul is saying that when you speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two at the most by three. Why? Because there's a safeguard in this. Let's say that all of a sudden someone comes in here. Nobody knows. The individual... Uh, uh, the people involved in the body of Christ, maybe some do know the individual, but the individual is not quite, uh, you know, uh, uh, up to where some people think that the person should be. You know, we are really great at judging one another. We're great at that. Some of us were just sent forth to be real judges among the body of Christ. <clears throat> And, but let's say that the person is, is 
pure. Their motives are pure. Uh, in the sight of God, this person has been praying, been seeking the Lord. So this person gives a message in, tongue, message in tongues. And there is a silence. And uh, skepticism then just creeps across. They've heard that voice before. They know who the individual is. Skepticism sweeps across. So people just stand there, and in their own mind they're saying, I wonder why she did that, or I wonder why he did that. And then all of a sudden, someone else gives a message in tongues. Uh, and all of a sudden, your, your entire attitude relative to what's taking place is changed. You say, hey, I need to listen up. This is God. You follow what I'm saying? And then sometimes God will use three witnesses. And after the third message, then, oh, don't, no, more, no more witnesses, because then we cloud the issue. See, we confuse the issue. It's all that's needed. Nobody else needs to do this. And then let one interpret. Now, the power of cooperate witnessing. Here you have four people working together. Or maybe three people working together. At least three people working together. Now, the Bible says that, that as strange as it may seem, an individual who does not even know you, who perhaps knows no one in the church can come in and this can take place and it has a profound effect upon the individual when the three witnesses are at least given. He falls on his face and he says that God is in you all of a truth. The Bible says he is convinced of all. Now, if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. In other words, if someone is prone to give a message in tongues and they do not interpret and, or there's no interpreter in the church, it's better not to even have the witnesses if the witnesses are not complete. Now, verse 29, the Bible says, Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. This is something that may kind of this this kind of breaks traditional barriers, but I really think that that prophecy, tongues and interpretation, is equivalent to prophecy. I think I could prove that. My whole point is not to get into spiritual gifts as much as to show you the power of cooperate witnessing. told you this is pastoral all the way, but this is something we need to hear, see. Uh, see, I'm not afraid of spiritual gifts. I feel comfortable with spiritual gifts. I feel uncomfortable when we go a long time and we don't have spiritual gifts. I get a, a little antsy when God is not speaking to us. But you have all seen this. There's nothing more powerful 
than to see this cooperate witnessing in a, taking place, such as we have people singing. We all sing then. Then somebody gets up and, and, and they start leading the service and they start talking to you. And then all of a sudden we call the uh, ushers to the front. Now we don't always have the ushers to pray because sometimes we have a lot of other things going on. But really when the ushers pray, that, that's a real witness. Do you know that? What do you mean a real witness? Well, here's a man talking about the importance of giving. And uh, maybe we have someone in the congregation, their faith is just a little bit low. And all of a sudden, uh, they begin to perk up a little bit. Uh, and then you call for the ushers and you ask one of the ushers, Brother Nelson, would you please pray? Brother Nelson begins to pray. It's that additional witness that sometimes can enhance faith that causes you to step out and do what needs to be done. And then the offering is being taken, and then someone stands behind the pulpit, and they, they begin to sing a message. You can see how everything then is fitting together, how God's Holy Spirit begins to move, and God begins to bless. You can see that. And then all of a sudden the preacher stands up and preaches, and at the end of the message, someone gives a message in tongues, somebody else gives a message in tongues. Somebody else. Somebody interprets. Now this is important to have the three or two witnesses, at least two, in order for the validity of the spiritual gift to be fully established in some people's mind. But the whole thing is an additional witness to what the preacher has preached. And have you ever seen anything more powerful than at the conclusion of your preaching? Brother Hildebrand could probably witness to this, or all of our ministers. When you finish preaching, all of a sudden, the power of God comes upon the congregation. And somebody gives a message in tongues. Somebody else gives a message in tongues. An interpretation comes forth. And without even an altar call, sinners begin to cry and weep about. I've seen it happen time after time after time after time. I've seen it happen. Oh, there's nothing in all the world more beautiful than to see this type of ministry in operation. I think throughout the Scripture this is, this is spoken of. I'm just going to turn in my Bible to Colossians, the third chapter. Colossians 3, <clears throat> verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be you thankful. Now you notice when spiritual gifts are mentioned, they talk about the one body. But they talk about the many ministries the many witnesses within that body. He's talking about the same thing. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and 
admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And then he gives this one little, this one little scripture here that is so very important. And whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. In other words, the joint effort, the working together, the cooperate witnessing, all should be done in the name of the Lord to magnify him. It seems like that's what James is talking about in James, the fifth chapter, when he talks about the healing of the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. And I just want to turn there. I don't want to read this. It's just, it's, it's just, to me, it's so beautiful. Verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. <clears throat> In other words, all of the different ministries flowing together builds up faith sometimes for the purpose of just healing that one person among you that needs, that needs a touch of the Lord. Praise God. Cooperate witnessing. You see, I am not an island out in the midst of an ocean. Jesus said, no man liveth unto himself, and no man dies unto himself. I am connected to you. And you are connected to me. And God puts us all fitly joined together for one purpose, and that is for cooperate effort to see the name of the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up. Praise God. Something we don't do much of, and we did it tonight, but the sidle had some of our couples to stand and give testimony. The old-fashioned testimony services we used to have. Now, people fully understood the power of that. The problem is that people won't understand the power of it. They sit up and say, well, I thank the Lord that I finally got up enough energy to get out of bed. You know, the devil's been just chasing me all week long. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> you talk about something that can be powerful. That can be powerful, though. When people stand up and say, you know, last Sunday night, Brother Grant talked about healing. And this past week, I got sick. And I, that came to my mind. And I began to think about how God heals. And I called for the elder. He came over and laid hands on me. And God healed me. What are you talking about? A testimony. Here's a man that's a non-believer among us. He's going to perk up. He's going to start looking around. Somebody else stands up and says, I thank the Lord that 40 years ago God filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. When He did, I spake with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance just like they did in Acts, the second chapter. Man, oh man, oh man, you're talking about something powerful. You're ganging up against hell. You're ganging up against Satan. You're ganging up against the powers and forces of iniquity. Behold, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 
But I give you power to tread upon scorpions and upon the serpents. And when they came back, the Bible says they came back rejoicing, saying that even the devils were subject unto us. Jesus said, Rejoice not over the fact that Satan was subject unto you, but rather rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Praise God. If we have anybody here with an independent spirit, you need to ask God to forgive you. And you need to jointly, fitly put yourself in the body of Christ. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. I sure have preached a long time, haven't I? Too long, I guess. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. Let's stand together. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. I feel extremely comfortable in the church of the living God. Oh, hallelujah. I believe God's going to take care of us. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 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 Let's clap our hands in great victory here tonight in the house of God. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. You know... I know that our praise singers probably have something a little bit more on the spiritual side lined up. I remember when I was a little kid, we used to sing these Sunday school songs. And, you know, they were so great. If we all pull together, together, together. If we all pull together, how happy we'll be. You remember that? And then we sang another one. Now, Sister Grant has the key, and I'm changing songs already. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. Honey, you can't find me. We'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll work till Jesus comes and we'll be gathered home. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's have fun doing this. You want to? Now when we're singing this, I want you to just turn around and put the biggest smile on your face that you can and shake hands with someone. And and, and during, I say during, while you're, you know, you run out of breath and you're going to take another breath, look at them and say, I love you. And keep on singing. We'll work 